we have made it to the final sermon in James. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> I even do my own sound effects. Aren't you happy? This has been a slow walk through through the last chapter, and again, it's been on purpose. James is summarizing everything that he has taught, which is built upon the teachings of Christ, and this is his final encouragement to a faithful people living in a faithless world. You wouldn't know anything about that, would you? You wouldn't know anything about trying to be a faithful people in a faithless world, struggling to remain cleansed and clean. You, you wouldn't know a thing, right? So you don't need this message of encouragement and hope and faith, right? <laughs> exactly. This is one of the reasons why I enjoy Scripture as much as I do, because there just aren't that many really old things that are still applicable, including me, but... <laughs> But there are a few timeless truths in this world, and they all come from God, and therefore we can apply the truth of Scripture despite the fact that, you know, we think we're so much more awesome because we have the iPhone now, and they're going to make it green. Isn't that going to be awesome? <laughs> Which, speaking of technology, this is, this is unrelated to anything, but I just have to tell this story again because it's worth it. So this is unrelated to anything else useful, but to show you the emptiness and the silliness of the modern world when you compare it to the truths of Scripture— I've been stuck on loop seeing this campaign commercial from our governor, and I'm not going to make any commentary to one side or the other, but if you haven't seen it yet, he's bragging about how he got Republicans and Democrats in the state legislature to work together to repair the roads. And while he, if you haven't seen this, you need to go look for it. While he's explaining this, he's driving down an Illinois road, and the camera is... <laughs> is bouncing as he explains how he has used the budget to fix the highways. And I'm like, dude, this is, this is the level of seriousness and brilliance that we get in the modern world, is there is no self-awareness. Christian, let's not be that way. Let's actually be grounded and anchored upon truth. And then let's apply that truth in the world, not trying to change the truth because you know how that's going to work out for you? It's not, but rather bringing the truths of Scripture to bear in the world as it is. Not trying to lie about what the world is or what the foundation is, but actually bringing them both honestly into the light. So with that, we will dive into the last section of James 5. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. Okay, remember this about James. Is there anything new under the sun here? No, no, no. We are building this upon Christ's teachings. So, Matthew 5. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool for his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. Now, the temptation many times is to pause for a really, really, really long time on this verse and go into a long diatribe about your truth and how you're supposed to speak and why you shouldn't make any oaths and clean up your language and all that good stuff. You know what, though? We already covered all that earlier in the book, so you can go find those and deal with that. We want to actually deal with the foundation that underlies this. So, what question should we ask? Why might this be the case? See, I'm, I'm almost going to have you guys convinced... 
this is going to be the danger. You're listening to me long enough that some of you are going to start thinking like me. And I apologize in advance because in some ways that will be very good for you. And in other ways, I'm, I'm sorry. So, <laughs> But this is what you should do. You should look at this ex- explanation. Yes is yes. No is no. Do not make any oaths. Why? But your yes is to be yes, your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Now stop. Christian, what keeps you from judgment? Or maybe let's ask, I'll give you the easy way. You ready? Who keeps you from judgment? It's Sunday school. Give me the answer. (laughs) Ask a children's Sunday school class anything. And if they don't know the answer, you know what's coming up next? Jesus. Well, who parted the Red Sea? Jesus. Who brought all the animals in the ark? Uh, Jesus. If they don't know, the answer is Jesus. This is an easy one. Who keeps you from judgment? Jesus. This is how this functions. Now again, though, what does that mean for you? I want to compare something. You ready? I'm going to compare with Matthew 23. It's been too positive this morning. We need some negativity here. Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. I wonder if that revealed more about their heart than it did anything else and what they thought was valuable in the world. But anyway, you fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? Whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the offering on it, he is obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Therefore, whoever swears by the altar swears both by the altar and by everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple swears both by the temple and by him who dwells within it. Whoever swears by heaven swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Let's ask the simple question. Put these ideas together. You ready? Can you divide up God? No. Can you divide up your life in service to God? No. (laughs) You're either in or you're out. There's no, I'm most of the way there. I'm almost following God. (laughs) They lie to themselves and try to do it. There's no third road. There's no, um, your, your fancy Latin of the day, there's no tertium quid, third thing. There's either the broad road that leads to destruction or there's a narrow road that leads to life. You're either in or you're out. We lie to ourselves and say, well, you know, we're, we're kind of making our way. You're either on the highway or you're in the ditch. There, or you're off in the field somewhere, but either way, you're off the road. And if you're off into the field somewhere, you know your way, way out. Now, that becomes important because why then does it matter how you walk? And the temptation of humanity that James has already dealt with is to say what? Well, because God will be mad at me and I will have, you know, angered God. I will have forsaken the covenant. I will have cast myself out of the kingdom. Who keeps you from judgment? What part do you play in that, Christian? What did you bring to that grand salvation? Did you show up with your offering and be like, all right, here's what I'm going to bring to the party, Jesus. What have you got for me? See, that sounds really dumb to say out loud because that's not how your salvation worked. You brought sin and iniquity and destruction. What are you apart from Christ in the sight of God? James 4. 
Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and we'll make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. What should that understanding about humanity teach me about my relationship to Christ and my walk within him? Acts 1. Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. So let's put all of this together. You ready to make sense of this? You are what in the grand scheme of the universe? (laughs) Not a whole lot, right? Yet, in your infinite smallness, you have managed to break the laws and commandments of the Almighty, the King of creation, creator of everything, the one who gives you breath and being and who ordains your days. Good job. Go team, right? This is, this is a good start, right? <laughs> this is like the ant picking the fight with the elephant. How does that usually t- end, end up? Yeah, not real well, right? You can, okay, that was pointless. So why aren't you smushed? Technical term, smushed. Why not? Because he has loved you, and he has redeemed you, and he has died in your, in your place and paid a penalty for you. He has not only that. I mean, that would be a pretty good deal, right? If that, was the, if that was the offer and that was where it stopped, would you take that deal? Like, wrath, or you could remove the wrath and give me a clean slate. You would accept those terms, right? And yet you've also been given the Holy Spirit. You have been empowered, and you have been transformed, and your heart has been renewed, and your mind has been opened, and the scriptures have been given, and you have been empowered, and you are being kept from the power of the evil one, and the power of sin is being broken, and you are being strengthened to walk faithfully until the day of completion. That is why your yes is yes, and your no is no. Not so that you will be faithful unto the Lord, but because he is working within you to make you faithful unto the Lord. You are being changed and transformed day by day. You are working in cooperation with the power of God. Just stop for a second and let that hit your brain for a second. You, infinite mini you, is working in cooperation with the power of God. To bring about what? To bring about what? We'll come back to that in just a minute. Every once in a while, I plan these things out, and they make sense. So hold on. We're going to get there. Verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone among them suffering? Like anyone at all? What was, how did this letter begin? Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is a church facing persecution. Last time I get to mention this. That's the cover image on your bulletin. It's, it's an artistic rendering known as the martyrdom of James. This is a church in Jerusalem that for the next mm, 20 years, well, 15, 20 years is not going to have a wonderful go of it. And hasn't really had a great go of it up until now. I mean, Peter's been locked up and thrown in prison. The other James, brother of John, one of the apostles, has already been beheaded. 
Uh, Stephen was stoned to death. We've had people cast out of Jerusalem. It's already not been a good go, and it's not going to be a good go for another decade or two. And then the Romans get involved, and then, you know, things just perk right up, and everything's awesome, right? Yeah, no. It, gets, it manages to go downhill from the bottom, which is an impressive accomplishment when it comes to evil. But yet evil manages to do that so often. So is, are there any among them suffering? Yes. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. You ready? You ready for the fun note of the day? You know that's the same person, right? The one who's suffering and the one who's cheerful, that's the same dude. Acts chapter 16. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. That's a fun day, right? Crowd stirs up. You get to be brought in front of a judge, and the judge goes, eh, you know what, smack him a little bit. It'll be good for him. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, because that's where everybody wants to go after you've been beaten within an inch of your life. To turn-of-the-century ancient jail. This is not three hots in a cot jail. This is like dark hole in the ground jail. And commanding the jailer to guard them securely. So do you even get free run? No, you get hole in the ground with what? Chains. This is awesome. All right, this is a good day. So I get to be sore, tired, beaten, and locked up and miserable. This is a fun day. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, you know, the middle of the night when everybody should be sleeping, but how well are you sleeping after being beaten within an inch of your life, being locked in a dark hole, and having chains put on you? You're sleeping real good, right? You think your back is sore in the morning? Imagine how Paul's back felt the next day. (laughs) Kind of walking around going, I'll stand up later, it'll be all right. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. That's the definition of joy over happiness. This is something we've talked about numerous times, haven't talked about it in a while, though. The Bible doesn't care if you're happy. I mean, it seriously doesn't. I mean, let's be honest. If I beat you with a stick, threw you in a hole in the ground, and locked you up in chains, are you happy? See, some of you are grinning because you're like, that's a stupid question. Don't ask me dumb questions. Look, asking dumb questions is what I do. Do with that knowledge what you will. But it's a silly question because the answer is obviously, no, I'm not happy. So why are you praying and singing hymns and praising God? Because you are joy-filled. How in the world can you have joy in the midst of this misery? Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is... Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. It's a demonstration of the change of who? The change of you done by God. The work of the Spirit carrying you forward, renewing you day by day. This is why I encourage you, again, not like the one that's on the news now, but your Christian walk should look like a good, happy stock market. You know, it starts out down here. And it winds up at some point down the line up here, right? And everybody made money and everybody's happy. Now, does it just go straight shot from A to B? No. Over the course of many years, it does what? And every once in a while, this dip was lower than that high, but this high. But over time, where did we get to? This is what your Christian life should look like, aided by the Spirit. Don't look at where you were yesterday, unless yesterday was a really, really bad day, and then take the small victory, because how many victories do we celebrate? all of them. So if we take the small victory, we're happy. But in the grand scheme of things, do I want you to, if you have been walking with Christ for 35 years, do I want you to evaluate from last week? I want you to start evaluating where? 35 years ago. 
compare yourself to that lout. You know why? Because in 35 years of Holy Spirit-empowered living, you know what you're going to see? Progress. You know how I know that? Because that's what God has promised to his people. Did I say you're going to be awesome? No. Are you going to be perfect? No. You can be happy with where you are? No. You can be farther along the road now than you were then? Yes! That's a victory. What do we do with the victory? Celebrate. This is good news. We have made it somewhere. This is the proof of the working of God in your life. This is what you rejoice in and celebrate. This is what your prayers each morning, your long stares in the mirror, your evaluations of your life are meant to accomplish. It's meant to show you vividly who you are and why you are and how do I make sure that 35 years from now, if God gives you breath, that you can look back and say what? Look where we were and look where we are. This is the rejoicing that we have in the work of God. This is what this is meant to produce, that I would have joy in this world, love for the brethren, kindness in this life, peace granted in Christ, the self-control to evaluate the things, and eventually, over time, slowly, work out that salvation with fear and trembling so that the power of sin as it has been broken is demonstrated to be broken day by day in my life. This is why self-control is one of the fruits. What separates the believer 40 years down the road from the one 40 minutes down the road? The ability to look at something and say, I have walked long enough to know that that is no good. And I have seen the fruits long enough to know that I want no part of this. Do you think it might still be fun just a little bit? Maybe. But the desire and the things that you want has been changed. By what? By year and year, decade and decade, walking with Christ changing, maturing, renewing you constantly. This is the joy that we experience in the Christian life. This is why it's, I laugh because, like, what's the first thing the, the young atheist tells you? I don't want to become a Christian. You people aren't allowed to have any. Because destroying yourself and ruining society is always fun, right? <laughs> why do they think that it is? Because it's all centered about who? What's one of the first things that the Holy Spirit does? Gets your eyes off of you and gets it on him. Slowly reorienting your life. This is all the verses in Scripture getting you what? Don't look at you. Set your eyes on the things that are above. Whatever is good and holy and pure, focus on these things. Fix your eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. All of these things are meant to get you to stop looking at you. Now, how do I square that with me being the guy telling you to constantly do what? Look at and evaluate you. What's our math equation, Vern? I know you know this one. <laughs> For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. Because when you look at yourself and realize the brokenness and sin in your life, do you go, oh man, I messed this up again? You might, should you stay there. No, you recognize what? This is the work that Christ has given me this day. This is the work that Christ has overcome. This is the sin that he has broken the power of. This is the redemption that he has purchased for me. This is the walk that I have been given. I've told you what, love what? Love the fight. Love the war against your sin because this is what the Holy Spirit is going to bring for you. And this is good news because as we follow after him and focus upon him, we grow and rejoice not in what we were, but in what he is making us day by day, year by year, you know, decade after decade. So let's continue. Is anyone among you sick? 
He must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. All right, we have a lot of work here to do, but what's our first, first, uh, what's the first rule of real estate? We actually have a realtor here. What's our first rule of real estate? (laughs) It's the first three rules. What? Location, location, location. It's the first rule for your Bible as well. Context, context, context. Like, you know, if I bring you this beautiful house and it's got 27 bedrooms and, you know, everything you could ever imagine and I stick it in the middle of downtown Chicago, you want it? (laughs) no gated community we're just sticking it right in the middle as the great prophet elvis once said in the ghetto okay some of you are paying attention just making sure (laughs) sorry i had never heard that i I knew of that song's existence but i never heard it until like four or five years ago and like i didn't realize that he actually sings it in the ghetto and i'd never heard anybody try to harmonize ghetto before so and it sounds a little ghetto to harmonize ghetto so So I am now contractually obligated anytime the word ghetto comes out of my mouth to say it like Elvis. So you're welcome. (laughs) Why don't you want it? Because you don't want to live there. You don't want to deal with the traffic. You don't want to deal with the crime. You don't want to deal with all of that. What if I stuck it in the middle of like uh, Bangladesh? You want to (laughs) move? We'll move you to the middle of Calcutta. Sound like fun? No, you didn't. Because the location's terrible. You have to pay attention to where things are. You need to do that in your Bible as well. So why don't we have our oil anointing station? For every time you're sick. Context. What's been the recurring theme of the book of James? James 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. What has James cared about from that verse moving forward? What have we been talking about this morning? I haven't used the word intentionally, but when I describe your growth in Christ in Christian living, No, that's faith is what starts you there. When I describe your walking and your growing and all that, what's the big fancy theological word? Sanctification. We need a a theme song for that word. I use it enough times. James cares about what? He cares about how the people of faith in and around Jerusalem are living in a broken world so that they would be strengthened, their faith would be secured, and they would walk faithfully. We would call that James caring about their sanctification. So, John chapter 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. What does God care about? God cares about his people and that they be what? And sanctified. What happens to you if I leave you to your own devices? No Holy Spirit, just you, with the law, with the knowledge of judgment coming upon you, with all of that, and then I just leave you alone to go, you do you. It's 2022, that's the phrase du jour, right? You do you, in light of the knowledge of God, the sacrifice for sin, just in your own power, how's that going to look? Don't don't we have, give or take, about a thousand years of history of Israel to demonstrate what that looks like more often than not? And what it looks like is humanity going astray. Humanity taking what is supposed to be a redeemed, faithful people of God and turning it into a rank pagan nation. And I know people kind of look at me funny when I say that. Ancient Israel is not a wonderful place. 
realize again, this is something we've covered in the Sunday school class, that when you go down the list of kings, I'm so tempted right now to go like literally run out of the room and bring in that giant dry erase board, but I won't, I won't do it. I will, I will fight the temptation. But you go down the list of the kings, even of Judah, and you go from the beginning of the divided kingdom, which is the reign of Rehoboam, which is 970-ish, and then you go all the way to the destruction at 586. Realize that the beginning of the United Kingdom comes on the heels of 300 years of the judges. The entirety of the period of judges is, a, is the history of Israel going, we're doing great, we're following after God, things are awesome. Ooh, look, idolatry. And now we're in idolatry and we're following other gods, and so God judges the nation and he sends foreign armies to conquer them. And they live like that for 10, 20, 30, 40, however many years. And then the people look up and go, you know what? This has happened to us because we have forsaken God and walked away from his commandments. We need to return to God and cry out to him in repentance and faith. And they do so, and God raises up for them a judge who delivers the people, kicks out the invading army, and secures the people in the land. And they live like that for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, whatever. And then one day they're sitting in the land doing well, and they look and go, ooh, idolatry. And, you know, around the mountain we go again. And they do this from the death of Joshua to the installation of Saul as king. It's give or take 300 years of history. Then you get a kingdom that is just as broken. And then you get a kingdom that divides itself and descends into brokenness. That even Judah that has decent kings realize that within about 150, 200 years of them dividing from the northern kingdom of Israel, that the temple of God in Jerusalem was home to Asherah poles and temples and altars and shrines to Molech and whatever other god you want to come up with. And that at one point down the road, they even installed a brothel in the temple. That's a level of sin and idolatry. I mean, would you go to a church on the backside of a brothel? Seriously? Like, we share the parking lot. It'll be awesome. I, I hope I was telling this. I, there's actually, closest thing, I've seen something close to this. I was, I've seen something close to this. On um, U.S. Business 35 in northwestern West Virginia, just across the Ohio border, there is a driveway that splits a parking lot that is shared by a Presbyterian church and an adult bookstore. <laughs> Don't make Presbyterian jokes. I didn't do it. And it's like, it was one of the things, Cameron drove, we used to drive by it until they put the bypass in. Now we don't have to drive by it, going to her parents. But we drove by and it was like, did you, did we just, did they share a parking lot? And because we have places to go and it's a 15 hour drive and we're not even, we're just over halfway there, we keep going. But coming back in the middle of the night, you know, the next week, it's like, slow down. I, they do, they share a driveway and then there's an overlap in the parking lots. I'm going to, and then my only thought is who was here first? Because that's one heck of a mission field, isn't it? Be like, I got an idea. Let's put the church right here. I think I'm vetoing that one. Be like, no, there's got to be somebody who will sell us the land for, for something close. But you would just pull into the parking lot every day. And it's just kind of like part of you is just kind of. That's what Israel had done to the temple. They were not in mass a faithful people. Now, was there always a remnant? Yes. There was always the work of God amongst his people. Always. But the demonstration is what? If I leave you alone, what iniquity would you come up with? Yes. You would come up with all of it. You would hit to the bottom of the barrel and go, you know, I think we can dig a little bit more here. 
and see what we can come up with. You know what, Dave? Sounds like a good plan. Let's get And oh, look at this. We found more iniquity. Go us. That's the human story. The Christian rejoicing is that you are not left to your own devices. You are not abandoned to yourself, but that you are changed. You are pulled out. You have been removed from the muck in the mire and cleansed of Christ. Therefore, your hope is where? Not in you. Your peace is where? Not in you. Your security is where? It's not in you. Your healing in your very life is where? It's not in you. These are all things that are centered in Christ. 1 John 5. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask him, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. Why will these sins be forgiven? Why will this healing be done? Because this is a people focused upon being sanctified. And part of that work in the early church is God doing what? Demonstrating the power and the presence that he has with these people. Therefore, he is doing this because this is how they grow in sanctification. Christian, which one of your prayers does God not hear? Just had a morbid curiosity. Which one does he go, no, 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 I'm not listening. I can't hear you. No, 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 no. Which one of your prayers is that the case for? None. So how come he didn't get everything he asked for? Sometimes the answer is what? And sometimes the answer is, those of you that have ever had children, sometimes the answer is no. <laughs> sometimes the answer is no. But I really, 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 really want it. No. You don't need it. And how often do your children want something that's not good for them? Christian, how often do you want something that's not good for you? He hears. Why are they receiving the answer? Why can John say, he hears everything and whatever we ask, we, we get? After just saying that he only gives you when you ask according to his will. What's the assumption from John? He hears us in whatever we ask. Because everything that I want to ask for should be what? In accordance with his will. It should be in part of my growth and sanctification. If I'm continually getting the answer, no, you know what I'm focusing on? Trust in the Lord. and He'll give you the desires of your heart. What do you want? Do you want something in this place? Do you want something that satisfies the flesh? Do you want something that feeds the sin? Or do you want something that grows you in sanctification and follows after God? Evaluate that for yourself. As I've told you before, terms and conditions may apply. Your mileage may vary. Check the warranty. Because what? Your life's different from mine. In newsflash, my life is different from yours. Which means who has to do the evaluation for the dark corners of your mind? You do. And as you do that evaluation, you're seeking to do what? Shine a light so that you can root out that darkness, clean out that sin in accordance with what he has promised, so that as you're living, you're living for whom? Not you, but him. This is the continual, this is the continual thing. Notice the other part of this. Nobody will get sick, right? When you're sick... Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. You getting older... You breaking down, you getting sick, you receiving illnesses, you stubbing your toe in the middle of the night on that coffee table, you keep forgetting to move. These are all part of your sanctification. These are all a part of you growing in faith. Even the toe stubbing. Because it comes out of nowhere. 
I mean, how good, how well would you react if you knew what was coming? You could sit down, like think it out, because you've never done that, right? You've never taken a shower knowing you were going to have an argument with somebody later and planned out how the argument was going to go. You know what the problem with that always is, right? They never play their part. They, they, they never say what they're supposed to say so that I'm right and win. <laughs> the rest of you people would just get in line. Everything would be all right, right? <laughs> Why not? Because you don't know what's coming and you can't plan. You have to be honest when. Then. This is why things come at you in a random Tuesday. This is why life sideswipes you when you're not paying attention. It's good for you because it reveals your heart. It reveals those dark corners you're unwilling to clean. It reveals the things that you've been trying to hide. And it forces you to shine a cleansing, revealing, and redeeming light in every aspect of your life. In other words, God does these things to you, not because he's mad at you, but because he loves you and wants to see you grow and be strengthened in faith. That is why you consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Let's keep going. Therefore, So based on everything we just said, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. What is James's assumption here? It's something that's been important throughout this letter. Are you going it alone? Are you Clint Eastwood on your horse with your little stogie sticking out and haven't shaved in three days, you know, riding along, living your life unto the glory of you? Don't ask me why we're doing Bonanza. I have no idea. (laughs) It's the first thing that came to mind when I tried to do music. Then I can't do that whistle thing from the good, the bad, and the ugly. Which, completely unrelated note, that is not a musical instrument. That's a mouth. Someone is making that noise with their vocal skills. There's a... uh, it's, it's, no, it's not, it not, and not just that, that wah, wah, wah. Those are all voices. So completely unrelated to anything else. If you ever see it performed, it's hysterical because your brain is going, how do faces make that? Okay. Mm. Like you ever meet somebody and like the voice that they have doesn't match the face that they have? Like their voice should be higher or lower. That's the entire performance of that piece of music. Your, your whole mind is just going, This hurts to watch and hear because my brain can't reconcile. But anyway, that's unrelated to any of this. No, the assumption from James is that you are planted where? With a group of fellow believers. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Now, does that mean you have to come to me? No, please don't. (laughs) Because if you all try to call me every day to confess your sins, you know what I'm never going to do? Never going to be able to sit out because I'm going, I just did this five minutes ago. Not to mention the fact that why? What's the benefit of confessing your sins to another? Is it because you need to come to the person who, here, here you go, I'll, I'll be Catholic, you need to come to the person who can give you the absolution. Oh, wrong hand, sorry. Why don't we do this, Christian? Because you have an intercessor, and you know who it isn't? It isn't this guy. Very rare that I actually uses for what it's intended, which is to point at things. So the one, few, one of the few times I get a chance to. No, I am not your intercessor before the Father. Christ is. I am not your source of absolution. Christ is. I am not even your guide in sanctification. The Holy Spirit is. I am merely an instructor. I've told you this before. Why do I have any authority to tell you anything? Because I'm standing on Scripture. If I'm standing anywhere other than Scripture, what should you do? 
throw things, and then run screaming from the room. I think I've almost come up with a sound for that so we can do a drill coming up soon. You know? <laughs> we'll practice on a Wednesday during Bible study. We'll hit the sound. Everybody will know what it is. And, you know. I tell you that, though, because you are old. Who's going to stand before God and give an account for you? You! I'm going to give an account for me. Now, part of that account is for what I have told you. So I need to be very careful and, and, and cautious about that. I should probably do a better job of that on most Sunday mornings, but <laughs> it is what it is at this point. At the same time, I'm not going to stand there and go, well, they went astray because of what I taught them. You went astray because you followed me. And I was leading in the wrong direction. You should have paid attention. You're responsible for you. That's why you don't come to me. You go to Christ. That's why you don't follow after me unless I am following after Christ. You don't follow after Paul unless he's following after Christ. You follow this, the pathway as it has been laid down, as it is being laid down faithfully. So, who are we confessing sins to? One another, the faithful body of believers. Why? Matthew 16. I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. What was, what was this? What was this rock? Is Peter's statement, you are the Christ, son of the living God. Yes. What have we been proclaiming for 2,000 years, give or take? He is the Christ, son of the living God. And this is the message of, this is the message of hope and salvation in all that he has done that we continue to proclaim. I point that out because, do you know what fun little distinction that verse has? It's the first mention of the church in the New Testament. That comes from Jesus. Not Paul, not Peter, not James. Jesus mentions the church first because it was always the plan that we walk together. Now again, why? Your life is different from mine. My life is different from yours. My sin struggles are different than yours. Your sin struggles different than mine. But you know what? Sometimes the sin struggle of that guy over there is the same as the sin struggle of that guy over there. And there's wisdom and there's counsel that's available because he's walked the road for 30, 40 years, and you just started. Isn't this what you try to teach children? Learn from my mistakes. Why? So that you don't waste the years of your life that I wasted in mine learning from my mistakes. See, if you already start where I finish, how much farther along this road are you of wisdom and counsel? This is what the church is supposed to do. The other reason you're supposed to confess your sins one to another is what's the temptation with your sin every single time? You are just in such a habit of recognizing that you have sinned and then making sure that you shine the light upon it so that others will know and you will overcome it, right? You do that every single time. No, you do what? Pay no attention to the man behind the mirror. Don't, there's nothing over here. What you got? Nothing, I have nothing. You know, you want everybody to be Schultz. I see nothing. That's what you want and desire out of your life. This is why the, the instruction is what? Confess your sins. Where's the one place we should be like, yep, that makes sense? Here. Too often, where's the one place we're like, <gasps> can you believe what Deborah said she does on the weekends? That is just, oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, we do have a Debbie. I'm sorry. I always try to pick a name we don't have. I don't think of you as a Deborah. <laughs> it's like, what did I do? I try to think of a name I don't have. Sorry. So hang on. 
No, oh. See, anytime I, anytime I pick on a woman's name, my first thought is always to be a Becky. But I have a Becca. <laughs> it's not my fault. It's, and we do, it's not my fault. Radio stations did that. Radio, um, TV and radio stations assign profiles to demographics that they want. And most, um, most Christian radio stations, the demographic that they want is the woman who is 25 to like 39 with kids in a minivan, you know, driving to soccer practice. And you know what name they gave her? Becky. So like that soccer mom in her late 20s and 30s who's driving the kids around, they gave her the name Becky in the radio stations. And that's the demographic that most Christian radio stations want to listen. Because she's in the car able to listen. They don't want her husband to listen. He's, you know, not paying attention to Christian radio. They want the woman in the car who's listening and doing all these things. So anyway, so that just ruined me. Anytime I try to think of that early middle-aged woman, I automatically think of the name Becky. <laughs> so I tried to not use Becky because I knew I had Rebecca's in here. And then I picked on Debbie. I'm sorry. <laughs> Karen. <laughs> it's 2022. We will pick on Karen. <laughs> She's not here yet, though. <laughs> no, I mean, we're, now we can laugh about that scenario where there's this person in the corner going, you know, talking about what someone else did. Why, why can we imagine that? Because if you've been in a church for more than 20 minutes, you've what? You've seen that. Where should be the one place where we're going, well, of course you've sinned. Of course, you sin just like that. Why are we shocked? Come here. Let me tell you about our day. Come, come. <laughs> I mean, the one place we pretend is the one place we shouldn't pretend, and the one place we lie the most is typically the place we should be the most honest. James's assumption is, may it never be. Why? Because when you recognize that about yourself, that you're willing to hide it, you know what you need to do even more? Shine the light. The community was always part of the Christian plan. Go back to Jesus' warning about judgment that we've covered so many times. Judge not so that you will not be judged, for in the way that you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, which always implies what? There's going to be a second. So first, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. See, is the mindset, how many of you have ever done this? Well, you know, I can't really say anything because when I was their age, dot, 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 dot. That's not the point. Because I have been wrong at some point in the past disqualifies me from ever telling anyone everything, right? No. Remove the log and then do what for your brother? Help. Because let's be honest, if I gave you a stick and it was sitting on the corner of your face, how much difficulty would you have for removing that? Because you know where it is. You're like, there we go. Get one little speck of dirt in your eye. And how many times you've been running around the house going, can you see what's, ah, oh, this is burning. And can, can you see what's in here? Help me out. You get the eye drops, you put your head under the faucet. And you're, you need what? Help. Because it's so small. And it's so insidious, and it digs itself in that you can't remove it. And by the way, all of the New Testament church got this idea. You said Jesus mentioned it in Matthew 7. James has mentioned it here. Galatians 6, coming from Paul. Brethren, if any of you is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. What does it mean to be spiritual? If anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. How many of you feel real spiritual this morning? <laughs> 
You're like, I see no hands, amazingly enough. You know why? Because we change the definitions based on the world. We think to be spiritual. That's, that's, the guy over, that's, the, that's the guy who sits in the suit and always says, and looks at you when you make a bad joke and goes, <coughs> you know, <coughs> you know, always sits at attention, you know, the one who's super serious. That's the spiritual guy. Or if you have the really worldly definition, it's the dude with his hair down to here, be like, dude, Both definitions are wrong. Christian, you're spiritual. You are led by the Spirit. You are grounded in the truth of Scripture, aided by the work of God. Therefore, when you see sin, you should be able to say what? Oh, look, look, I know what that is. I, I, I know what that is. Why? Because I have been renewed and transformed, and I know that that's a problem. Therefore, what do we do, brethren? We go help. Because the hope is, me who is spiritual, when I run into the speck in my eye, what's going to happen? That there's going to be somebody who looks and goes, I see a problem, let's go help. This is not about you nitwit. This is about how can we get you out of here? Restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Because we know what? You're going to break down. You're going to mess things up. You're going to walk astray every so often. Therefore, in Christ, in hope, we can point this out and trust that in Christ and in hope, you will come back. As an example of this power, James gives you an example. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. See, because Elijah, if anybody was spiritual, it was Elijah, right? That guy got it. Go back to 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. What does it look like? Looks like killing the prophets of Baal, calling down fire from heaven, making it rain after not making it rain for three years, and then standing before the pagan queen of the northern kingdom of Israel and her going, I'm going to kill you, and you turning into Monty Python, run away, run away. And then having the audacity to stand before God and say, if they kill me, I'm it. They've killed all the prophets and I'm the only one left. See, I have to run away. That's the implication. I have to run away because if they kill me, who will testify to your greatness, O oh God? <laughs> Think about the hubris and brokenness of that statement. If they kill big, important, infinitely tiny me, who will proclaim your wonders? Oh, I don't know, the heavens. Oh, I don't know, another prophet that God will raise up. Oh, I don't know, anyone? <laughs> The rocks, pick one. We got this. And isn't that the answer? There's 5,000 in Israel who have not bowed the knee to Baal. There's just 7,000. I never remember the number. Seven, it's seven. Every, I should remember that. Everything in the Bible happens in sevens. <laughs> it's sevens or forties, unless it's threes. <laughs> there you go. There's your numerology for the day. So let's ask this question. By what power did Elijah accomplish these things? What made Elijah so special? Exactly. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. It's John 14, Hebrews 7. He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. This is the part of this that we, again, we mentioned it earlier. Don't gloss over it and forget it. God hears you. God cares for you. 
God is listening and it is actively involved in your world. Not just sitting there watching like it's cable, you know, turning the channel. All right, what's, what's Calvary doing? Oh, they're not doing anything good. All right, ooh, okay, let's see. Let's, let's, let's watch this one for a while. Shh, popcorn. That's not how the God of the universe interacts with his people. He is infinitely aware and infinitely powerful and infinitely involved. He knows and he hears and he cares and he is bringing you forward to the day of completion. This is why I asked you, what does God care about? Your sanctification, your building up in faith, your being strengthened and carried along and getting there. And by the way, emphasis sometimes on that carried along, right? Because sometimes what does it look like? Come on, keep, <laughs> keep moving. You don't get the right hand of fellowship. You get the left foot of fellowship as you keep moving along. The Holy Spirit going, no, 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 we don't take naps here. We keep on moving down. Just think of it like a four-year-old at a, at, a, at a carnival, you know? There reaches a point where the kid just does what? Done. You just pick up their wrist and what? <laughs> or as my mother found out one year, she had a, um, a 12-year-old West Highland Terrier that she decided it would be a good idea to take for a walk. And she got about halfway around this mile-plus-long lake path, and then the dog sat down. <laughs> and she was a she was a little rotund thing at 12 years old she just <laughs> um well pick her up i can't carry her she's like 30 pounds i'm like wait a minute one you can't carry the 30 pound dog but dog was just like nope <laughs> that's what we do what's the holy spirit do come on things to do and again, as you're honest and evaluating, you get put back down and you walk some more. This is what he's concerned with. This is how he works. And again, the great, the great blessing of the Old Testament is these guys aren't heroes. They messed up constantly. The hero of the story is God. The point of the story is Christ to recognize that in our own power, they're broken. In my own power, I'm broken. But in him, I am clean. In him, I am righteous. In him, I will persevere. In him, nothing will be undone. So we'll finish up where James finishes up. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, all right, time out. People go astray? Who would have thunk it, right? First John 2, it is the last hour, and just as you heard, the Antichrist is coming. And even now, many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they were not of us. Jude makes the same point. First, um, first book of the Bible I ever got a chance to preach through was Jude, so it still has this little special place in my heart. But beloved, I was making every effort to write about our common salvation. Isn't that everybody? What do you want to talk about when you get together with other believers? You want to talk about everything broken and wrong in the world? No, you want to talk about everything good and right that Christ has done. That's what Jude wanted to do. But I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. We always miss that part. Crept into the church unnoticed. Where is the call coming from, Christian? Remember that, what was that, the 70s, that bad horror thing? The call is coming from inside the house. The killer is hiding inside the house. Never really understood how that worked, because you can't call your house from your house. Can you? 
No, because you pick it up and you you hang up real fast. <laughs> but then the, <laughs> Vern was trying it one day. <laughs> this was the seventies. There were no cell phones. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. I'm talking the old, good old days when my grandmother did. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but this. This is where sin comes from. Sin is not something out there that's afflicting us. It's something that we contend with here. Because here's the other part of this. Can you contend with the sin out there? I mean, can you really? Can you run into your neighbor and, and, and do like my friend did to his sister one day in the, in the middle of a hallway? And he, uh, my uh, sophomore, junior year, uh, my best friend's sister was uh, hit the seventh grade, and it was the first year she's changing classes. I went to a small school. It's okay. And so he passed her in the hallway. Remember this poor little 13-year-old girl? And as he walked by her, he just stopped in the middle of the hallway and grabbed her by the forehead and bent her backwards. And then in the middle of, cl- middle of this class changes, demon of stupidity, come out of this child! And then stood her up and walked off. <laughs> and she stood... Never forget the look I just... <laughs> like, if the earth could have swallowed her whole right then, she would have been okay with that plan. <laughs> like, can you do that to the people at Walmart? No, and I don't recommend it either, by the way. Just, you just make sure. Why? How many hearts and minds can you change? None. But Christ can. Whose heart can you ensure is being sanctified day by day? Yours. Whose proclamation can you make? Christ's. This is the weapons that we bring. This is the weapon that we bring into the world. This is the message that we carry. I can't confront, well, I can confront, but I can't overcome their sin. Christ has to. Just as he's overcome mine so that I can confront it, both mine and theirs, and then proclaim what? Truth and salvation and a hope ready to be revealed. This is where James finishes up. Let him know, so if you've turned one back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sin. This is where the battle has always lain. Anyway, anybody an English teacher? Is it laid? This is where the battle is always laid? It's not where this is where the battle is always lied. That doesn't make any sense. You can't change them. Is it laid? Lay, lay, see, I, see someone's got to know this language that, I'm, that I claim to use. <laughs> Go team. You know now you're my source for all of these, right? Okay. okay. <laughs> Just making sure. This is heavy. I got the farmer. I got a realtor. I got a, ma- I got a science person. <laughs> There's rules here. This is why you have to sit in similar places. Otherwise, you confuse me when you move around. <laughs> Actually, never mind. No, no, I was, was going to say something. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. I'm going to behave myself. It wasn't that bad, but... Actually, it wasn't bad at all, but it was just not helpful. You can't change them, but Christ can. They are not the enemy. No more than you're the enemy. And this is what I mean. Do you overcome your sin by just, like, removing parts of you? This is um, one of my favorite... um, this is irony right here. One of the most ironic things in church history is that the father of the allegorical interpretation is Origen. 
Origen gives us the allegorical interpretation of Scripture. So he's the guy that comes up with the idea that when you're reading the parable, this is not about God and his work with his people. This is about how you interact with the government and that this, the, the talents are really like the seeds that you... That's the allegorical. Everything means something else. He was a good deconstructionist before it existed. Origen treated almost the entirety of Scripture like that except for one verse. And because he was falling into sexual temptation, he castrated himself. You take all of them allegorically except that one. Humanity does very bizarre and unusual things on a regular basis. That's a good example. What does that have to do with anything? Sometimes I wonder, but anyway. <laughs> Is your enemy you? We summarize it like that. So, because you're lusting, why aren't you plucking your eyes out? Because you're coveting, why aren't you cutting your hands off? Because you're not walking with Christ, why aren't you cutting your feet off? Because is the enemy you, or is the enemy the thoughts, the worldview, the desires, the hopes, the fears that you have? That's where the enemy lies. Now, where do those things originate? In you. So in a roundabout way, yes, you are the enemy. But the cure for that is not killing you physically. It's killing you spiritually. And as you do that, you grow and you mature and you are refined day by day. Christian, they're not the enemy either. The sin, the fear, the worldview, the thought processes, the desires, the lusts of the eyes, the lusts of the flesh. These are the enemy. Paul, Ephesians 6. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That has always, always, always been the case. Proverbs 10. Hatred stirs up strife. Love covers all transgressions. Why do you love, Christian? Because you have first been loved. Apart from the love of God, what does your love usually look like in this world? Yeah, not usually very much. Matthew 18. Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me that I forgive him? Up to seven times? See, Peter thought he was being special. Like, seven. Say seven. <laughs> seven times, right? Yeah, seven times. That's a lot, right? Because I think the, uh, the, 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 the scribes taught you three and you were done. Like three, and you were good. So when Peter said seven, he was, he was going to the, to the standard and then beyond the standard and then beyond that. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, how many of you have that checklist at home? You're like, when you get to 490, out of my life completely. <laughs> Is that what that's supposed to be about? No. It's supposed to be an impossibly, stupidly high number because you wouldn't count it and you wouldn't pay attention. Why? Because they're not the problem. Sin is the problem. Who overcomes it? Christ. This has always been the problem. This is what always will be the problem. So what do you do? What do you do each and every day, Christian? Where's your focus? Where's your heart and mind resting? It should be in Christ. Being renewed day by day by the work of the Spirit. Proclaiming that in your life to yourself and in the lives of those you have influence over and those you're trying to disciple and in those you're trying to win. Because what changes the hearts and minds of men? God in his gospel message of salvation. Always has been, always will be. If you think you've come up with a new weapon, you know what you are? I'm gonna say the most offensive thing that can be said in 2022. You're wrong. 
And now you're offended, right? <laughs> no, you're wrong because there isn't another weapon. There's not another sword. There's not another thing that overcomes this world. And I've warned you before about the, the dangers of living in a sinful world and trying to overcome it. Because the temptation is to bitterness, anger, and hatred. The cure for that is guarding your own heart and soul and remembering how you got here and how they get to where Christ is as well. Because they're not the enemy. Sin's the enemy. Your sin's the enemy. Their sin's the enemy. And how do we overcome it? By proclaiming Christ and trusting in his redemptive work. Let's pray.